Greetings, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, January the 3rd, 2021, a brand new year. I'm going to be reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and I'm reading from the ESV version. It's a greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and accepting in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So it's a sense of some excitement and a bit of anticipation that we start, we begin a series on Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is one of the prison letters of Paul, written, most scholars believe, while he was a prisoner in Rome, although one scholar makes out a, a good case for an imprisonment in, in Ephesus. It, it's not really, really of any great importance as to where Paul was when he wrote this letter. The important thing is the message of the letter itself. It was written to a church located in what we now call Turkey, in the Roman province of Asia Minor, Asia Minor about 100 miles south and east of Ephesus, near Colossae, where two other cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis, located about 10 miles apart on the Lycus River. The church at Colossae was one of two New Testament churches, the other Rome, that Paul never visited before he wrote to them. It was founded under the ministry of a man named Epaphras, who was introduced in the opening verses of this letter. And of these three cities, Colossae was the smallest and the least important. But this church at Colossae became the founder of other churches which started up in the nearby cities. This letter also is connected closely with the letter to Philemon, who was a businessman, a friend of Paul, and a citizen of Laodicea. In many ways, the letter to the Colossians is very similar in its teaching to the letter to the Ephesians. So you may ask if, if that's the case, then why do, we need to, why do we need a letter to the Colossians? Well, it's not the same, though. Colossians has a distinctive message, one that is extremely relevant to people living today, in our area, today. It is primarily a letter of hope, the hope that comes by the means of the gospel. At the time it was written, there was a serious threat 
to the faith of the Colossians. This garbled mixture of religious era arising from both a Jewish and a Greek background was threatening the church. In such an uncertain theological atmosphere where different religious ideas compete with one another is always an indication of great unrest in society. It indicates that people have lost their bearings and do not know quite what to believe. Sound familiar? That condition is reflected in the letter to the Colossians, and we will recognize it in that it is, in fact, what we face today. We are assaulted on every side by one-off versions and various philosophies, all of them claiming to be the truth. So, you see, the letter to the Colossians is very important in the New Testament record, in the canon of Scripture. In the opening verses, Paul the Apostle emphasizes the word hope and in marked contrast to the hopelessness of the world of his day. How hopeless many people are growing now. The glory, the zing seems to perhaps have gone out of life. And that is how the Colossians felt when Apophras first began to speak the truth of the gospel to them. Alexander Pope was the author of the oft-quoted proverb, hope springs eternal in the human breast. But it is really not true. You see, at times we lose hope, don't we? And it is not always because of loss or failure. The Colossians, too, were once hopeless, but they had found hope. And when they found two other enormously valuable commodities with it called faith and love, now listen to these opening words of the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created man, male and female. He created them and he named them man. Thus, women have as much right to the word man as males do. They can properly call themselves the sons of God, just as men's, men do, and they can properly include themselves in the term brethren as much as men do. Both are men in that generic sense of creation. And so Paul continues. So in other words, he's talking to men and women. And Paul continues, to the holy and faithful brothers at Christ in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and which you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. That's Colossians 1, 2 through 6, the first part of 6. So did we pick out the three words that are crucial there? Faith, hope, and love. We would say these are favorite words of, of Paul. He uses this triad in several of his letters. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes about your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. Many of us have, have already remembered in, in that wonderful triad at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Yes, love is what is needed in our world, but according to this Colossian statement, love comes from faith. And where does faith come from? The NIV puts it this way. The faith 
and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and which you have already heard about in the word of truth. It is extremely important to recognize that these wonderful words, faith, love, and hope are related. Notice that two of them are four-letter words, love and hope. So not all four-letter words are bad. These words mark what we would we could call we could well call qualities of authentic Christians or believers. If you're really a believer, if you are one of the holy and faithful brothers, as Paul writes, the mark will be will be you have faith and love which spring from hope, and that hope is found in the gospel. Paul calls the Colossians holy brothers. Some think of the the word holy as a synonym for grim. Some in our culture, holy people they feel are maybe sanctimonious, long-faced, killjoys. Remember what one little girl said on seeing a mule for the first time. I don't know what you are, but you must be a Christian. You look just like grandpa. But the word holy really means separated unto God or modern terminology terminology claimed by God. Christians are holy because they belong to God. Why is God's name holy? Because it is his name. It belongs to him. We call his book the Holy Bible because it is God's book. In that sense, therefore, holy has nothing to do with how we act, but more on who we are. We belong to God. By faith, the Colossians had believed what God said. Therefore, God claimed them for his own. They belong to him. Paul also calls them Faithful brethren, here is the first hint of the struggles going on in the church at Colossae. There were, there were strange doctrinal ideas floating about in an effort to upset these people and turn them away from their faith. But Paul was encouraging them to remain faithful brethren, consistent, dependable, genuine believers because of a constant supply of love and hope from the Spirit. That's verse 8. By the way, that reference in verse 8 is the only time the Holy Spirit is referred to in this letter. It's not because the truth about the Spirit is not important, but Paul is not focusing on the Spirit's work in this particular letter. Rather, he is dealing with the result of the Spirit's work, faith and love arising out of a renewed hope. The important thing is to notice that hope produces faith, and faith in turn grows into love. Hope is at the root. Faith is the plant, and love, you could say, is the fruit. So hope is foundational. This gives rise to the question, well, what produces hope? We all desperately need hope. Without hope, we, we lose the desire to live. We have all had hopeless moments when we felt like saying, what's the use? What then produces hope? And here's Paul's answer. Hope stored up for you in heaven in which you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come unto you. Hope is awakened by the gospel. And that is good news. The gospel addresses itself to people like me, to losers, not to the successful, but to the failures, the weak, the empty, the lost. And it gives us hope when nothing else can give us hope. The gospel will. But how does hearing the story of Jesus his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his coming by the Holy Spirit give hope that awakens faith and stimulates love for other people. The answer is in this one phrase, the hope stored up for you in heaven. Well, to most, and, and I would 
put myself in that category that that immediately suggests life after death after this life we will go to be with the lord and all of the glory of eternity will then be ours that's a wonderful hope but that is not what this phrase means if we take it that way it gives credence to mark's marx's accusation that religion is the opium of the people if all the gospel offers to Christians is that we will go to heaven when we die, this may well tend to make us content with our lot on earth and, and do nothing to correct or improve our conditions. But though it, though it is a wonderful truth that there is hope of life after death, this translation kind of obscures what is really being said. The singular word heaven is what misleads us. What the Greek text actually says is hope is available to you in the heavens plural the term the heavens or as it appears in the letter to the ephesians the heavenlies is a reference not to heaven after death but to the invisible spiritual kingdom that surrounds us on all sides right now Thus, what this is saying here is that the gospel reveals that there is hope for us immediately coming from that invisible spiritual kingdom which surrounds us right at this very moment. And what is that hope? It is, it is patent all through the New Testament. Jesus himself said, let not your hearts be troubled for I am with you. That is the hope that is awakened by the gospel. It is the good news that right now, Whatever we are facing in our moment of weakness and our peril and our hopelessness, Jesus is available to us. His strength can be given to us, imparted to us. His wisdom can be granted to us to, to steady us, to strengthen us, to make us to, st to stand. That is the hope of the gospel. That is what awakens faith. Faith means to act on the hope. Faith means we believe that Jesus is there. At once we feel our spirit steadied and strengthened and we're able to go on and take, take whatever is coming. We can brace ourselves. We've all known what it means to have some friend come along in, in a time of trouble to stand by, to steady us, encourage us, maybe, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, but we know what that feels like. And if that friend is the Lord of glory himself, well, what tremendous hope there is in that fact. That's what it means here, the, the hope that is in the gospel. Hebrew, Hebrews 11 says, that, says of Moses that he endured because he saw him who was invisible. That's what Paul writes to the Colossians about, an invisible reality that is available right now in Jesus. He is there. He is here, ready to help and to encourage. Paul also calls this gospel the word of truth. That is what marks its realism. Dorothy Sayers, the Christian philosopher, said, the test of any religion is not whether it pleases us or is comfortable, but whether it is true. Does it accord with reality? Does it do what it says it will do? That is the test. The great thing about the gospel is that it is true. It really works. It does deliver us. When we lack hope, feel defeated, cast down, betrayed, Jesus stands there available to us. 
That is the word of the gospel, and he offers forgiveness, restoration if there's any failure. That is what, the, what Paul now affirms saying to the Colossians in verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard about it and understood God's grace and all its truth. But often, we don't want invisible help. If I'm, if I'm being honest, sometimes we're angry and resentful if, if human help, touchable help, is not available. But God will sometimes deliberately deny us human help in order that we, have, we, we learn how much greater is the help waiting for us from this invisible kingdom. Furthermore, Paul says this help works anywhere in the world. And I think that this is one of the most amazing, amazing proofs, if you will, of the authenticity of the scriptures of the Bible. What a change the gospel makes. The proof of the Colossians faith was love. And the apostle declares in verse seven and eight, Paul declares in verse seven, and eight, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us, and also told us of your love in the spirit. Colossians 1, 7 through 8. Just as though we were there, Paul seems to say. Epaphras has been teaching us the truth. Epaphras was the man who started it all. We don't know much about him, although he's mentioned in a couple of the other letters of Paul. He, he evidently was a layman and had probably been part of the group that Paul himself taught when he was a resident in Ephesus for, for three years. There, as Acts records, Paul rented a, a hall, the, the school of Tyrannus, for, for five hours a day, six days a week, for three solid years. He taught the scriptures. Many who were present went out through all the provinces spreading the truth, and among them was Epaphras. He, he came in, into the insignificant city of Colossae and probably started a home Bible class. He, he had friends and Laodicea and started another class there and another one over in Herapolis. And Epaphras simply told the people who came, who came the truth about Jesus, the meaning of his death, the glory of his resurrection, his accessibility to them by means of the Holy Spirit who came on the day of Pentecost. And that began to excite them and awaken them in their hopeless condition. They found hope again and faith and love came along with it. A healed community of people be, came into being and caught the attention of, of many of the other pagan cities. And that's God's favorite way of evangelism, isn't it? When we're out there rubbing shoulders, living life, life on life with people who have no hope, hearing their stories, meeting them in the streets and in the stores, having a coffee with them. We are the ones who can spread the word of hope. That is how the gospel spread throughout the Roman province of Asia and hundreds of churches came into being. The gospel has the power to change, the power to awaken, the power to give hope. And out of hope springs faith and love. And what a remarkable thing that is. This area is our corner of the world. And like you, I have driven down 105 and Tynecastle Highway and bemoaned the fact of all the people that are coming to our little community of Banner Elk. But oh, what an opportunity, because so many are coming that are hopeless. 
This is our area. This is our corner of the world. We too can see these very things happening here. What excitement will come into our life when we reach out with the good news, with the gospel, the only source of hope in the world, to the hopeless ones around. Amen and amen. In closing, I want to read Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.